All right, welcome to the latest edition of the Positive Populist Podcast. There you go, I got it out all correctly. Um, and here's our guest. Please introduce yourself. My name is Rob Smith. I am America's favorite black gay Republican. Okay, well, there's so much to talk about there. America's favorite ga- black gay Republican. Lot but to unpack. Before we get to that, before we get to that, Rob, um, the question I always open with are you a positive populist? I would like to think that I'm a positive populist. Um, I, I would like to think that there is an element of uh, motivation and, uh-huh. and self-help and everything that I say and everything that I do when it comes to to politics and the world so wait, around so you're, us. So you're saying you're, you're, you're going with the positive part. Is that what I'm hearing there? You like that? I like being positive. Absolutely. Great. And then what does it mean? But, but you weren't kind of immediate. You know, some people ask that question. I mean, it's just a nice way to get the conversation going, really, because it's interesting. Some people say, yeah, I am. I great. I love it. You know. Yeah. And then other people say, well, I kind of maybe. I don't know. So I'm just interested in what it means to you when you hear that phrase. What's going through your head? When I hear that phrase, you know, positive is obviously positivity, but populist means somebody that is of the people and for the people. Yeah. Um, and even though I've done, you know, a lot of great things and amazing things and continue to get a lot of amazing opportunities i'm still of the people because i am from akron ohio right you know what i mean i'm, I'm a midwest guy i'm of the people and that's where the populace comes for me okay so you you you, you basically approve of that label i do okay good because you know it's interesting because a lot of people don't you know that's in funny you know that's a part of what i'm trying to do is say this thing this movement whatever you want to call it populism which you know various times has been applied to the right to the left to donald trump to brexit but also to bernie sanders and elizabeth warren and you know they get called populist as well mm-hmm. and i had a great actually i had a great conversation with tammy bruce just in exactly sitting right where you are now when she's saying well basically if you're on the left you can't be a populist because it's all about power to the people that's really what populism is about it's about the people having power the people having control and the left don't want that they 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 want to centralize power they want to take power away from the people anyway whatever that's and, and put it in the hands of the government exactly right yeah exactly and so anyway whatever we'll get into that but i let's now go back to your very kind of you know uh, you you put some you you really kind of laid it out there. Yeah, yeah, America's laid it favorite out. Um, black gay Republican. Where do you want to start with that? God, where do I want to start with that? I you know I could I could go back to Ohio and and I'm also a military veteran as well. Right. I could talk a little bit about that. I can talk about why I made the decision to come out as a conservative Republican uh, right. about a year and a couple of months back. Right. You know, uh, we most used people to, when they say come out, you know, when you're talking about that story, who are gay, they're mostly it's about them coming out as gay. But yeah. you, 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 what was the when did when did one happen and when did the other happen? Well, I came out when I was gay. Um, it was so I joined the military right out of high school. So I was uh-huh. 17 years old, uh, yeah. Akron, Ohio. Parents had never gone to college. Mm-hmm. I was a first generation college student, but I needed to get out of Akron, Ohio. I wanted to go into the military. I wanted to serve my country. I wanted to see the world. I wanted to do all that. Yeah. Now I served in the military under Don't Ask, Don't Tell, which meant that uh-huh. I could not be openly gay and serve in the military. Uh, otherwise I get kicked out. So when I finished the four years plus a year of uh, reserves that I did, yeah. I was done with closets. And so that that's when I came out. So I came out right after the military. So when was that? Um, that was I came out when I exited the military. I exited the military in uh, early 2005. And you, how old were you then? I was about 23. Uh huh. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so I exited the military. I, I came out because I was just done with closets. Mm-hmm. So that was the the coming out as gay. And how? Um, just before we move on from that, yeah. I mean, how was that? Was that 
you know, incredibly frightening or actually not so, you know, like just talk about that for a little bit. Well, you know, being, uh, being gay and, and basically having being gay be criminalized in the point in time where yeah. I was serving, yeah. it, it was scary because when you're doing your job, it, it makes you kind of disengage from your fellow soldiers. I wasn't as close to them as I could have been because I was like, oh my God, you know, somebody's going to discover the secret. Somebody's going to discover that I'm gay um, and get me ran out of the military. And then there goes my college, there goes my life, there goes everything. So it was scary in that capacity. Now, you know, people aren't as, you know, unaccepting as you may think people certainly are not as homophobic as I thought I ended up coming out to a couple of really close friends of mine when I was uh-huh. in when I was in the military uh-huh. um, and it and it was scary they, so they weren't in the military they were outside of it, no they were they were in the military yeah some of my some of my uh, my fellow oh, soldiers interesting yeah and nobody ever you know it, wow. military terminology busted you out like you know told on you so nobody ever reported me or anything like that uh-huh. um, so it, it was scary but mostly I was just, you know, trying to live my life. I did two deployments as well. So I was trying to, uh, you know, to to not get killed. And the funny thing about it is, is that me being gay, once I even came out to my closest friends in the military, it was it was tertiary, um, if even that to, you know, who I was as a person and as a soldier. So that was 2005. And then what about your family? Um, I came out to my family like around that time, came out to my mother over the phone while I was in the military. She did not take it well. Um, It took her a very long time to kind of come back around to it. And now she's just like, you know, gay mom of the year. (laughs) Really? Now she's all about it. How um, How long? What's that? How long did it take? It took her, I would say that it took a good decade for her to really come around to where she is right now. And, you know, I give uh, I give a lot of talks um, on college campuses all across the country. And I have a lot of uh, younger gay kids, you know, ask me, you know, when's the you know, when's the right time to come Mm -hmm. out? Should I come out to my parents? And I say, you know, it's not always an after school special and they're not always going to, you know, envelop you in this warm bear hug and and take you out for ice cream afterwards. So you kind of have to gauge it. But parents, if they love you, will eventually come around. And my parents came around. Wow. That's an amazing story. And then. um so I'm just going to getting the timeline now. Then, then the Republican part. Let's yeah, the other big the, uh, coming out in your life. Um, so the other big coming out, the Republican part, that was recent. That was um around maybe April or May of last year. I'll tell you the story. Yeah. So I'm in Las Vegas. I'm visiting my very best friend in the world. Lives in Las Vegas. Uh-huh. I've been thinking about. I started becoming more conservative leaning around 2015, 2016. Mm-hmm. I was just not a fan of Hillary Clinton. To mm-hmm. me, she represented. By the way, before that, were you, would you put yourself on the left, a Democrat, or just not particularly political? Well, I, not only was I on the left, I was so far left, I actually uh, protested uh, against Don't Ask, Don't Tell. So I protested oh, for Don't Ask, Don't Tell repeal. Uh-huh. I was um, arrested at the White House under the Obama administration uh-huh. protesting Don't Ask, Don't Tell. I was there when Don't Ask, Don't Tell repeal got um, signed. Mm-hmm. So I was very active and sort of, I wouldn't call that leftist because, you know, we had some Republicans on board as well. Mm-hmm. I, I just got involved with politics at that but point. But were you a Democrat? Did you I, think- was, I was a Democrat. Right. And and I was a Democrat. Now that I look back on it, I wasn't a Democrat. It, it was almost because it was what I was supposed to believe. And it was yes. what everybody around me told me I should believe. Right. And I thought that, well, you know, the Republican Party is the party of evil old white men yes. who want yes. to subjugate me, yeah. you know, and, and who want to keep me oppressed. And that's what I thought at the time. And after all this stuff happened around 2015, 2016. 
um, when the election started coming around and, and it was Hillary Clinton and I just thought that she was she represented everything that was wrong with the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. But I started feeling differently about illegal immigration. That's kind of like mm-hmm. my number one issue as a conservative. Mm-hmm. And I started feeling differently about illegal immigration. I started feeling uh, differently about the liberals and the Democrats. Mm-hmm. And as a gay man, when when Pulse Orlando happened, you know, mm-hmm. when, when a terrorist went into that gay club and killed 49 gays and lesbians, and the response from the Democrats was was weaker than I thought that it should have been. Where were you living at this time? At this time, I was living in New York. Right. So, so I've been in New York for a L- while. Yeah. So you'd moved to New York. Yeah. What were you doing? I was working in uh, journalism and media. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you're really in a very liberal zone. The bubble, it is the bluest bubble of the bluest yeah. bubble. Yeah. yeah. Still, still live there right now, and it is still as blue as it's ever been. But I started seeing things differently after Post Orlando happened. Huh. And I, I think that for me... When I was protesting against Don't Ask, Don't Tell Repeal and I was giving these lectures and I was doing all of this stuff, I was very afraid to say what I truly felt because when you're on the left, there is this pressure to not say what you really feel because you have to fall in line with what whatever the left says. Right. And I was feeling this pressure. And when I decided to come out was, you know, post Orlando happened, I was starting to feel differently about illegal uh-huh. immigration. And I remember maybe about 15 months ago, I went to Las Vegas to visit my best friend and I was just sitting and I was like, you know what? If I want to do this, if I want to say that I can be a Republican and I can be conservative, even though I'm black and gay, it has to be a moment. It Mm -hmm. has to be a media moment because media moments make impacts. Mm -hmm. And I know that I'm not the only black gay Republican in America was not then and still not now, Mm -hmm. but I knew I had to make a moment out of it. And that's when I decided to kind of leverage my media connections to do it. I came out via... Um, a, a profile in the Daily Mail, right. and then that I started being a lot more vocal on social media, saying the things that I wanted to say that mm-hmm. are more in my authentic voice. Uh, I started doing a lot of Fox News stuff. Mm-hmm. I, I got connected with Turning Point USA, and I just, you know, I have become now America's favorite black gay Republican. You're really out there I'm in every really sense. Really out there yeah. in every sense. Um, yeah. Let me just go back to the. I was interested in that that policy dimension to it, illegal immigration. Yes. So you were saying that that became something that you were thinking about a lot after Pulse or or before and then it got more... I was already thinking about it before. I read a book yeah. by Ann Coulter called Adios America. Right. That blew my mind wide open. And, you know, and, I mean, and, you know, we always get in trouble with that, but that that book does have an absolutely brilliant subtitle. It does. It does. Can you remember the subtitle? Oh, wait a minute. It was it was Adios America. Oh God, is it like inside the left's plan to turn America into a third world hellhole or something <laughs> yeah, like that? Exactly. I'm glad you said that. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Very good. That was the title. So I read this book on a uh, and, and it's really funny because I was getting as they say red pilled so I got red what pilled is I've never understood what that is okay, I'm, so, a bit, I'm too old for all this so, so red pilled is the moment when you realize that oh you may be a little bit more conservative leaning than you thought right but does that red pilled uh, term imply that someone did it to you like someone gave you a red pill or is, is that what it, it, it implies that somebody gave you a red pill either right. by their knowledge or mm-hmm. by work that they've created like Ann Coulter creating that so book you, so, so were you thinking oh I've been red pilled by Ann Coulter that what you would think it wasn't in my terminology at that right. point in time but now when I look back to it and that terminology is very popular now I'm like oh that was my red pill moment that, oh, was, one of my, that was one of my red pill moments uh, Post Orlando was the biggest one so you um, read the book what made you read that book if you were on the left that's interesting to me I just had become 
become more interested about illegal immigration, and uh-huh. I become more interested about the effects that it was having on, on the country. Uh-huh. And being from um, Akron, Ohio, and being from a, a working class black background, right. I've always been aware of the tension that exists in working class neighborhoods of all colors, but particularly working class black neighborhoods mm-hmm. um, with the uh, legal and illegal Latino immigrant population. It's interesting because Teslin Figaro, who's on our show a lot as mm-hmm. well, um, one day perhaps you'll be on together. You know, she it's, it's interesting. She t- and she was uh, on the left. You know, she was uh, she vol- she was an organizer um, on the Bernie Sanders campaign in mm-hmm. 2016, and actually she makes that exact same point. And she describes this process how the Democrats now have become so kind of captured yeah. by the uh, immigration lobby yeah. and advocating for those people. Yeah. And of course, some of the cases they take up, you could say, what, without making any judgment on whether or not that's a good day, what, they, what it's meant is that they've actually in many ways abandoned yeah. another core part of their constituency, which is African, working class African-Americans. Well, yeah, and, and the thing about it is right now, and when you look at what's happening right now with, let's say, the reparations debate, and, and when I talk to, so here's the thing. I get a lot of I get a lot of crap for being a, a black conservative. Mm-hmm. Not as much as you think. Not as much as I get from the LGBT for for being a gay conservative. They are, they are they are brutal. They are they right. are absolutely brutal. But I think African Americans and I think some of them will realize that they are basically being replaced by the Democrats for illegal immigrant for illegal immigration because. Black people know that illegal immigration hurts us. It hurts our working class community. It just does. Mm-hmm. And, and we're aware of this. And the thing about the left is that. When you say replace that, I mean, just want to. I mean, that word itself has become incredibly loaded, hasn't it? Because it's part of that language yeah. that comes from. It certainly has been. No, I'm not saying it comes from, but it's certainly been used by yeah. the the most hateful elements of the right. Um, you know the 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 Charlottesville people yeah. and also the the recent shooter. You know they use that language of replace. You don't you don't mean it in that sense. I meant it in terms of a voting base. Right. So I I meant it in terms of right. the Democrats are using they they think that. The way to gain a reliable voting block is mm-hmm. through of Latino Americans is through this illegal immigration thing, right? And so they're looking to replace African Americans as that sort of reliable voting block. And did you see? And also the, the working class element of that argument is important. I mean, and I'm just interested why, because uh, it was one of the big changes I've seen them. So interested. We, we we kind of point this out every now and again. Is Bernie? Yes. In 2015 was very much uh, you know t- he was his language on immigration was very was almost identical to Donald Trump's yeah and he was literally get, going around saying you know open borders that's a Koch brothers thing uh, open the bring in all these all this cheap labor yeah. no you know we don't and of course he's just completely abandoned that because he's realized you can't get anywhere yeah in the Democrat Party if you hold that position because they but are I was now... just interested back then yeah when he was saying that why given that you were on the left why didn't you kind of go along with Bernie. Uh, I did vote for Bernie Sanders. I voted for Bernie Sanders in the primary. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Uh-huh. Okay. In New York State, I voted for Bernie Sanders in uh-huh. the primary and did not vote in the presidential election. But, okay, so so I have a theory, mm-hmm. all right, um, because I'm a millennial, and I'm a millennial that went through the economic downturn. Mm-hmm. And th- that economic downturn that happened has left my generation of millennials completely scarred. Yes. And I believe that it has turned millennials into two groups. Uh-huh. There's either the group that is 
mad at the elites that are saying that this was somebody else's fault and they need to pay. Yeah. So they need to pay my student loans off. Yeah. They need to take care. They need to make college free. They need to socialize medicine. They need to do all these different things. And then there's the other side of millennials, which mm-hmm. I think that I, I fall under, which is like, this sucked and this makes me believe that I have to do this myself. I have to be an entrepreneur. Take I have to go out there and get it. I have to take responsibility because I knew after working through that economic downturn that companies generally don't care about people in the way that they used to. So it's like whatever I'm going to do for myself has to be for myself. And I think that that's what's going on with the Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren wing of the party. These are people that are absolutely absolutely scarred by that economic downturn and they have decided to blame the elites blame the one percent blame anybody but taking the responsibility for themselves very exciting what you're saying i'm getting a really great connection of that because it's like that brings us back to what we're talking about that really is what i think of as as positive populism which is that i'm going to have the power okay because to a certain extent you know i would go along with the elites have screwed you like you know the 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 economic the the policies the economic policies for decades which the elite pushed forward and the establishment and benefited from definitely screwed not just millennials but Mm -hmm. working people for decades right absolutely so yeah we can all agree about that but the answer is not the statism of Warren and Bernie Sanders. It's, 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 that's right. And so real populism, I think, is, is you having power, people having power, not being dependent mm-hmm. on the establishment. on the. And so I think that's such a profound point you've just made. Oh, well, I mean, you know, and when I talk about my transition to conservatism, of course, it's about illegal immigration. And I think that there's some nuttiness that's going on with the LGBTQIAK++ that I've... Um, referenced a lot in my social media and when I speak, but it's also about the fact that we cannot make this move into socialism it's really as a powerful society. What you just said. We, so we, we cannot that, do that. That take responsibility point. You have to. And, Stand, I, and, yeah, yeah, and yeah. my best friend in the world, and he, he knows he's my best friend, I never say him by name, but he is practically a socialist. And we argue about this stuff all the time, and I love him no, to but death. That's so he's funny. Like that reminds me of Brett Easton Ellis. So he's like, Brett Easton Ellis, I had him on the next revolution, and he was talking about his book, White. Um, and his... Uh, as he described it, his communist millennial boyfriend. Yeah. And like, as Brett has become more kind of, the way he describes it, like, sort of actually just totally repulsed by the kind of crazy anti Trump derangement that yeah. he sees on that. So he's kind of become, now he's seen as this kind of right wing, you know, which he says he's not. But he says it's so funny the, the arguments he has with his yeah, his communist I mean, millennial boyfriend. And it's really funny. I bet uh, Brett That's would have funny. a lot to say to you about like how the gay community uh, treats people who've defected, right? You know, from the LGBT <laughs> left because now we're you know we're far right and we're racist and white supremacist and and all That's this stuff, right. which is completely insane to call a black gay man. But they'll say it. Yes, but. Uh, yeah, my best friend is practically a socialist, and in his mind, it is somebody else's fault that he took out over $100,000 in student loans to go to a small liberal arts school. Nobody so, told you to take out those loans. So do you think – okay, the, I want to come back to this. It's really interesting. This, this, you know, I blame you, and now you've got to do it for me versus yeah. they f- over so we can't have that again we have to stand on our own two feet yeah. that's really interesting independence versus dependence the other big feature of the millennial approach to, to politics and issues these days seems to me is the woke stuff oh, right God, so yeah. does that does that layer of of stuff um 
map onto that division? In other words, the people who want the government to do everything for them are also the woke people or... Is it not as neat as that? Um, no, I, I think you you have it right. As a as a former woke warrior myself, or right. wokey, or whatever you want to call him, I think that the a lot of the messiness that's going on uh, with the left right now is I like to say it's when woke Twitter meets policy. Right. So you have a lot of people become very very prominent by just saying crazy stuff and in this sort of desperate. Uh, race to be the wokest. Mm -hmm. But now this stuff is actually starting to infect policy. And this stuff is actually starting to to make its way to what is being proposed by our candidates for president. Right. Free college, free healthcare for illegal immigrants, intersectionality. Um, God, you know, Elizabeth Warren announcing her pronouns. Yeah, Elizabeth Warren announcing her pronouns. Marianne Williamson having white people apologize to black people, you know, at one of her campaign events. (laughs) And, And this is kind of like where we're at right now on the left which is which is very insane but also very frightening and i think that uh what we were talking about earlier about that economic downturn in 2008 it is it has scarred millennials because and here's the other thing as well the people that the good thing about the social media era is that you can do it yourself Mm -hmm. and you can decide to get on instagram and twitter and facebook and you can create an entire brand for yourself Mm -hmm. and there are people who have created entire brands for themselves based completely on victimhood, based completely on the fact that white people are evil, that they need to apologize to black people, that, you know, uh, intersectionality is key because as a, you know, heavy set black queer feminist woman that I am somehow more oppressed than somebody else. <laughs> and and on the left, this, it, when you see this stuff, and I, we chuckle about it. I know, it, so it is because it's crazy. Well, it, it's but nuts, but definitely... when you see it in action, it's crazy. Did and you see the really thing... The other week, the the DSA, the Democratic Socialists of America, they come from. Um, There's so many things in that, but um, the, you know, one was the way that they just did the pronouns and so you know I'm whatever I'm Jim Smith from Sacramento, he him, he is, just yeah. like just so natural, it's the most normal thing in the world. Yeah. But the other one was when they were talking about who's going to get the chance to ask a question. Yeah. And they had to kind of explain their their victimhood yeah. to the person who was holding the microphone. I think I'm getting this right quote because not all oppressions are visible. Yes. And it was like, oh my God. And then there was a guy, and then there was a guy that said that I'm somebody that gets easily triggered by noises and all this stuff. And let me tell you something, Steve. When we when we get into and I, and I got a book coming out this fall, um, and it, it's it's about the time that I spent in the military and and some of the ideas that I have about the movement right now. But nobody can play the oppression Olympics like me. I get gold every time. <laughs> I get gold every time. Black. Gay, working class, Akron, Ohio, military veteran, served in war. I've got it, but I don't play that game because to me, that game is not empowering. It doesn't yes, that's empower right. it me d- to be a victim. Okay, let's go back to that divide, the, the kind of the millennial uh, divide. What proportion, just roughly speaking, would you say? I mean, I don't, it doesn't feel like it's 50 50. feels like the majority of millennials fall into that. Um, and I, I think the data, but, but I don't know enough about it. The, I, the kind of do it all for me camp because you owe me because you screwed me over. Or, or is that not right? I think that it's a little overblown. Uh-huh. I think that, um, you know, the uh, I, I think it was the New York Times or somebody else. They, they basically did this study that said that the loudest. But number one, uh, Twitter and social media only represents like two percent of the population. Right. Yeah. And so the loudest voices on Twitter really do represent more of a far left fringe than I think we're aware of, because. Mm-hmm 
because mm-hmm. most people are not that heavily involved in politics. Most people are just living their lives. Most most uh, people that are not white don't go around just like hating white people. I mean, <laughs> right. it's like not worth our time. Um, I, I think it's a very far left fringe. And what I see is I see the importance of those voices kind of diminishing because there's nowhere for it to go and mm-hmm. then what happens is the infighting starts mm-hmm. and you'll see it and I bring up the LGBT a lot mm-hmm. because now in the LGBT so like I'm a black gay man but mm-hmm. of course I have all this privilege right and I'm oppressing other people um, so the fact that, that I'm a By the gay way, what is the argument they make to back that up I, the argument that they make is that, um, God, you know, because I'm because I'm a male, I have all this privilege as a male, and you know, it uh, it overcuts my blackness or my gayness. Like I don't know, but the, the idea is that it's it's all starting to kind of eat itself, right? <laughs> so everybody tries to shout other people down based on whatever their perceived privilege is. Yeah. Um, white gay men are, are are basically, you know, the the most evil of the evil in the entire LGBT community. <laughs> yet all the organizations depend on their money to survive just, so I don't entirely know how that works the whole thing is not what about yeah. uh, what about the Trump uh, we've got all this way into the conversation we are literally I don't think we've used the word Trump yet wow what what is the Trump um, you, you know how just going back to when you came out on the, yes. on the conservative side that was sounds like that was roughly when Trump was getting going yeah. how did that factor into this one way or the other so me coming out last year and I remember when I when I first came out I wanted so here's the thing it's really glad that the that the president that Trump the name didn't come up until this far in the conversation because I didn't want my entire conservatism mm-hmm. to be defined by mm-hmm. Donald Trump mm-hmm. and I, and I still don't and I am a supporter of the president mm-hmm. I've been on record as saying as I'm a supporter but mm-hmm. I was very wary about that at first but then one of the uh, members of our esteemed media mm-hmm. tried to find an old tweet that I did um, mm-hmm. that where I said offhand, like, oh, Trump is a racist or something like that. This mm-hmm. was literally like back in 2015 when I was barely on Twitter. And this person tried to shame me about it. Mm-hmm. And so that was when I doubled down publicly right. on my Trump support because I'm like, look, this is America. Yeah. OK, uh, over half the population elected this person president that like we can't live in a if you thought that literally 50 plus million people in this country are just racist white supremacists that elected the president because they hate black people or people of color or whatever, you're being completely ridiculous. And so if you try to shame me for something, I'm literally going to triple down. Right. And that is exactly what I did when when this person tried to um, put that out publicly to to embarrass me after I'd uh, shared a photo of myself at the White House for a Black History Month event. So you so you would say right now you would you would think of yourself well I, what about that label conservative you you like that term you, you're happy with that i like conservative yeah. i mean i there's some people that say conservative not republican because republicans too loaded yeah and then there's some people on the left that says well you know well you can be a conservative but you just can't be a trump supporter right. and i'm just like i'm not gonna play this game of trying to be uh accepted by you because we both know you're gonna move the goalposts mm-hmm. uh there are a lot of black conservatives and there are a lot of conservatives in general that are out there playing this game about uh i'm a conservative but not a trump supporter and basically the only thing that they do, they don't talk about anything conservative. They just slam Trump. I know. That's the whole thing. I mean, that's why, funny enough, when I think about the the language a lot of the, a lot of the time that I observe from the critics, it's often the never-Trumpers those that, that drive me the most crazy. Because yeah. They're so kind of virulent in their language. Yeah. And there's something – and I keep saying, yeah, okay, but you're the ones – who's 
failure caused this phenomenon. It was your policies that actually led to working class people saying, hang on a second, this trade policy isn't working for us, this immigration policy, this kind of, you know, doing the bidding of the corporations, all that kind of populist rhetoric, and and China and whatever, all that, that didn't work. That's why we've got Trump. So there's no use you now turning around and Mm -hmm. say, oh, Trump's so ghastly. I mean, you know, I, I think that with a lot of them, they like being accepted by the legacy media because you yes. have to understand you you cannot you cannot overestimate the amount of contempt that uh, that our wonderful you know New York DC media elite have for the president, and I think that for some of those people that are like I'm a conservative but I'm a never Trumper and oh my God he's just so this and he's so that and oh my God all that's about you know wanting to go to the media parties and, and wanting yes. to be kind of accepted into that crowd. I think a lot of it, by the way, is aesthetic. You know, they, they it's not based on policy or substance. No, right? it's like oh I can't stand oh, my God look at him it's, oh, the, what he looks like oh he eats McDonald's you know what I mean it's stuff like that yeah and that's the stuff that attracts pop you know the the real people, people. to yeah, him real exactly people right. who have actually eaten McDonald's I at know. some point in their life and it's really funny to to not you know go too much into into Trump but it's so funny how somebody that is so wealthy has been able to capture the imagination of working people yeah. and to be able to relate to working people in that way. There's something very special about that, yes. and I don't think that it's explored enough. I think for, I, I totally agree, and I, one, one, one part of it, I think, a theory of his, is actually the nature of how he got wealthy, which, okay, you can say, well, you know, in the later days it was the TV show and the brand and whatever, but remember yeah. he started in construction. Yeah. And you can argue about where how much money he made whatever but he spent a lot of time on construction sites yes and and that and and sort of t- literally spending time with blue collar workers with yeah. construction workers yeah. and i think that's a big part of it he, he sort of grew up around those those kind of regular working people rather than i don't know someone like i don't know mitt romney who's mitt romney, sort of sort yeah of financial wheeler dealing that no one can really understand trump build buildings i get it i you know there's a sort of basicness to that and these people live in the bubble and you and i talked a, a, a lot about you know a couple of these democratic candidates that are running for president and it's just like their contempt for the working person yeah. you can it comes off of them in waves you can you can yes. tell yeah it's, you can tell i and, really hate the most and when exactly. you spend enough time not just with with the candidates but when you spend enough time on the ground talking about real people talking with real people and you get out of the swamp mm-hmm. and you get out of la mm-hmm. and you get out of new york and you spend time around real people you mm-hmm. can see who is of the people and who's not yeah and i just totally i totally agree with that and 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 the thing that really I feel very strong. You know, I get the same question: Are you a Trump supporter, or whatever? And I remember in the campaign that came up the times, and I, my immediate response is, okay, whatever. I'm really what I'm really telling you is I support Trump supporters yes. because these people have been patronized and looked down on and screwed over yes. by establishment politics and politicians for years. And finally, here's someone who's speaking up for them, and good for that. And good spe- for him. And, and them. in defense of the Trump supporter, look. I came out as conservative, black, gay, Republican, all this stuff, probably about 15 months ago. I had like, I had like something like 135,000 followers over social media. Like, I go to Trump rallies. I meet these people. These people come up to me everywhere I'm at. Nice, kind, genuine. Yes. Sh- like showing love on social media, showing love on the Instagram posts, showing love on the Twitter posts. I just. I love America. I served America. And I refuse to believe it is antithetical to my very being to believe that 50 plus million Americans are deeply racist just because of who they voted for. Yeah, I, I, I just, just never bought so it. I just so agree with that. Never bought it. 
really agree with that. Um, well, we're out of time. That was great. We're going to keep talking, though, in various places, I hope. Absolutely. Great to see you. Thank you so much for being with us today. No, thanks for having me. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.